please be aware this podcast contains descriptions from the court case of graphic violence inflicted on the victims. Listeners are asked to exercise discretion. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. Many thanks to our guest writer for their help with this episode. As morning broke in the town of Rotherham, a place with a population of over 110,000 people and a proud industrial past, people were waking up and getting ready to go to work. It was the 19th of September 2022, and as the first morning commuters walked through the town centre, one or two started to slow down and eventually stopped. There was a man lying on the ground. He had no shoes or socks on and his body was covered in deep cuts and blackening bruises. His skin was scalded with reddening burns and one of his limbs looked as though it was at a strange angle to his body. He couldn't move. All he was able to do was to moan occasionally as he felt pain, but at least he was still alive. An ambulance was called and when it arrived, the crew were shocked by what they saw. Rarely had they seen someone with such severe injuries apart from car crashes. They were surprised he was still alive and that he was just laying out in the middle of the street. The signs were that the injuries had been inflicted by a severe and sustained beating over a long period of time using different weapons. It looked as though the man had been tortured. He had suffered serious internal injuries, including rib fractures and lacerations to his liver as a consequence of severe blunt force trauma. He would be spending a long time in hospital. It was touch and go. At about the same time, the police were called to 41 Spring Street, an area where there were mainly Victorian terraced houses and flats near to the centre of town, after they had received a report of a concern for a man. The house, apparently deserted, was in darkness inside, with tatty curtains over the windows. The police forced entry and searched until they came into the dining room. Lying naked inside a sleeping bag, with a rag wrapped around his arm to cover horrific cuts, was 31-year-old Adam Clapham. Adam was a family man and the father of a seven-year-old child. The police officers tried to revive Adam, even though his body, covered in the same cuts, bruises and burns as the man found in the town centre, was unresponsive. Adam looked in an even worse state, with severe lacerations to his head and face, and his skull looked as though it had been crushed in places. Adam had also been tortured, although this time it had been taken to the extreme. He was confirmed dead at the scene. Earlier that day, before anything had happened, at about one o'clock in the morning, the man found in Rotherham Town Centre needed recreational drugs, so he had called Tony, his supplier for the last nine months, to arrange a pickup. I'm going to continue to refer to this person only as the man, because he has been granted a lifetime anonymity by the courts. So he called Tony, whose real name was Abab Yusuf and Tony sounded strange, on edge, annoyed as they talked on the phone. But the pickup was arranged as normal to be collected from Spring Street, one of the houses Tony used to supply drugs to users around the Rotherham area. The man knocked on the door. After a short while, it opened, and to his surprise, there were four other men and a woman with Tony. Robert Crooks, Kieran Miller, Mohammed Ashraf, a youth aged 16, and also Lynette Myers, who he knew as another drug user who also bought drugs from Tony. This looked threatening, so the man turned to go, but he was grabbed by the four men and dragged inside. The front door was slammed shut with no means of escape as the four men stood between him and the front door. 
They pushed the man towards the staircase to the basement and they threw him down the stairs, causing him to painfully tumble and roll down the stairs, landing at the bottom. The four men followed, laughing at him, and as they passed his body, kicked him. One of the men was carrying a hammer, asking, quote, where's Adam? The man told them he didn't know where Adam was. Adam was his friend and fellow drug user, and he looked after the Spring Street house for Tony. Quote, where's Adam, where's Adam, where's Adam? They kept asking, becoming increasingly intimidating, as the man told them again and again that he didn't know. This time, though, when he told them he didn't know, Tony brought the hammer down on the man's body, and he doubled up in pain. But he couldn't tell them where Adam was because he just didn't know. They asked him again and again, and even though he gave the same answer, they kept hitting him with the hammer. They kept asking him the same question, and every time he told them that he didn't know, they would hit him until his body was covered in blackening bruises and the man was crying with pain. Eventually, they stopped because he couldn't give them the answer they wanted, and so Robin and Kieran tried to tie him up with a rope with the intention of using different techniques and a variety of weapons on him to get the answer. They used a washing line to tie his legs to the radiator, but that pulled the pipe off of the wall, so they started kicking him again and laughing. Then Robert went upstairs. As they waited for him to come back, they'd occasionally launch another violent kick at the man, each time landing on a different part of the body and causing the man to cry out in agony. When Robert came back, he was carrying glass bottles and he handed them out to the other people in the room. Tony walked up to where the man was lying and smashed the bottle he was holding over his head. Then another did the same and then the third and then the fourth. The broken glass of each bottle teared the skin as it shattered on the skull and lodged in the man's face and head. By now there was blood trickling out of the wounds down his face and onto the floor. All this time, the men and the one woman were laughing and kicking the man again and again, shouting, quote, where's Adam? Then, one of the men got a packet of cigarettes out of his pocket and handed them round. The man watched as they lit up, desperate for a smoke himself, but they weren't going to smoke the cigarettes. One of them walked over, took the lit cigarette out of his mouth and plunged it into the man's face. The man screamed in pain as the heat of the smouldering stub connected with the nerves of his face. Then, the second walked over and did the same, this time adding a kick as he walked away. Again, the man screamed and began to cry as the intensity of the pain registered. The third and the fourth did the same, both laughing as the man screamed. They might have been enjoying inflicting the torture, but they weren't getting any closer to knowing where Adam was, and so they decided to change tactics. Tony spoke quietly to Kieran and Mohammed so that the man couldn't hear what he was saying. And then Kieran and Mohammed climbed the stairs and left the room. The man heard them then leave the front door and go out of the house. Robert and Lynette grabbed the man and pulled him up the stairs from the basement to the bathroom. He was pushed into the bathroom and forced to sit in the bath. The man was likely relieved to be taken upstairs and to have Lynette there. She was sort of a friend or so he believed. They had seen each other about they had the same need for and the same supplier of drugs. As he was taken upstairs, he thought he'd be able to persuade Lynette to get him out of there, even if it was only to turn a blind eye as he made it for the door. Robert walked out of the bathroom to go back to the basement and Lynette closed the door behind him. Now she could help him to get out, to stop the pain, to put an end to the nightmare. The man said, quote, Lynette, help me. She looked at him and then raised her hand holding a glass bottle and smashed it down on his head. 
She then turned on the shower and laughed as the ice-cold water ran over his body. She picked up a metal bar that had been left in the bathroom and started to hit the man around his head and body. As she was doing it, she told him she was trying to help him. Quote, if I don't do it, they're going to do it 10 times harder. She might be right, but she was also inflicting violence and seeing his pain. Then the man heard Rob. He was back upstairs shouting, let me, let me get at him, let me do it. But Lynette said, no, no, I'll do it, I'll sort it. Lynette kept him in the bathroom, occasionally hitting him with the metal bar or smashing another bottle over his head. There was a break between beatings of about 20 minutes when the man heard the sound of somebody being brought into the house and being taken downstairs to the basement. Kieran and Mohammed must have come back with someone. Tony must have told Kieran to try a few places in town where he thought Adam might be and they'd managed to find him and bring him back to Spring Street. But even though Adam had been found, Lynette Myers did not stop the beating. Rather, it just increased in frequency and severity, almost as though she knew her fun would soon come to an end and she wanted to get as much of it as she could before it stopped. She kept up the torture for another 25 minutes until there was a panicked scream from the basement. A panicked scream from Adam. The man decided he needed to try and escape. These people were clearly totally brutal, probably drunk and almost certainly high, and if he didn't get out now, he could be killed. They were totally out of control. He lunged for the door of the bathroom, but Lynette pulled him back and shouted downstairs for them to, quote, come and get him. Tony and Rob appeared at the doorway to the bathroom. They were going to take him down into the basement again, where the screaming was coming from. Again, he was pushed down the stairs and landed at the bottom. He looked up expecting to see Adam, but he didn't recognise the other person in the basement at first. He saw a body tied to a chair, naked and slouching, covered in blood and bruises. This man was in a bad way, in so much pain he wasn't able to talk. Gradually, he was able to make out that it was his friend, Adam Clapham. They started to lay into Adam again with the hammer and the blood started to flow. Adam had called out again in pain. Kieran was enthusiastically encouraging the others to hit Adam. Then Robert tied the man up near Adam and went upstairs to the kitchen. The rest started to break glass bottles over Adam and punch and kick him, but this time much harder than they had been hitting the man when they'd first brought him into the house. This was going to do some serious damage to Adam. Robert returned to the basement carrying a boiling hot kettle of water from the kitchen and the others shouted at him enthusiastically to do it. He slowly poured the boiling water over the man, some of it splashing off of him and onto Adam's legs. Both men screamed with pain. There was no reason to do this. The man hadn't known where Adam was and hadn't done anything wrong. This was just pure, unjustified vengeance and grotesque brutality, just for the sake of it, just for the perverted enjoyment of the six of them in that room. As this was going on, Tony was asking Adam all the time where the money was. The man now understood what this was about. He had come round to Spring Street yesterday to see Adam, who was minding the house for Tony while he was away at one of his other properties. Adam and the man had popped out just for a few minutes around the corner to get strong lager from the corner shop and had left the door ajar so that they could get back in. When they got back, they found that £300 that had been delivered to the house earlier for a drugs pickup was gone. What was this all about? This violence, this unnecessary torture, all for £300? Or was it more than that? Was it because Tony thought he'd been humiliated by one of his own, Adam, who had left the door of the house on the latch as he went to the shop? Did Tony think Adam had taken it? 
Was it a warning to the other drug users and dealers in the area that this is the way Tony deals with anyone who crosses him? It was a message. The torture wasn't over yet. Tony's cousin Mohammed came up with what he thought was a really hilarious idea. He suggested that Adam and the man give each other oral sex as a joke and that they film it and post it. Tony and everyone else thought that this was a great idea, quote, yeah, yeah, make them. So Tony told both men to take off their clothes. Neither Adam or the man had a choice. Every time they said no, another hammer blow hit a different part of their body. Then Tony walked over to the table, opened a drawer and took out a machete. He walked over to Adam and held it very close to his throat. The man later told the police that he thought, quote, I'm gonna die. I'd have agreed to anything just to get out. The two men were forced to perform a sex act on each other, which was filmed by Mohammed and the 16-year-old. They then turned the phone on themselves to record their laughing at Adam and the man. The abuse lasted about 10 minutes until Adam keeled over and crashed to the ground. The man then passed out because of the pain and lay there for hours. When he regained consciousness, Adam had been moved upstairs into the dining room. An attempt had also been made to clear up the blood. Tony was standing over the man as he came to, threatening me, telling him to tell police Adam had died as the result of an overdose. He wasn't sure if Adam was really dead. How did they know that he was dead? He could just be unconscious from the pain. But it soon became clear that they knew for a fact Adam was dead because as was discovered at the post-mortem of Adam's body, there were slices on Adam's wrists, probably from the machete, to see if he was in fact dead. And that's why Adam's body was found by the police with rags tied around his wrist. Tony left the basement, and then the man slowly crawled to the top of the basement steps before falling unconscious again. When he came to, everything in the house was quiet. He managed to stand unsteadily and then shuffled towards the front door as quietly as he could. He was terrified that they'd hear him and that they'd come at him again, and this time to do to him what they'd done to Adam. But there was no one there. The house was deserted. The man got out of the house, managing to stagger to the town centre, and that's where he collapsed and was found early the next morning. The man was in a bad way. Medical staff worked desperately to keep him alive, and gradually, through their expert medical care and determination, his condition gradually improved over time until he was well enough to speak to the police. The man didn't lie and tell them that Adam had died from an overdose. He told them the truth of what had happened. The police already had extensive forensic evidence from the Spring Street address, and so with the man's account and CCTV in the area, they were quickly able to piece together what had happened and who they were looking for in connection with the brutal murder. From the 23rd of September, police started to pick up their suspects. Day after day, they found and detained each of them until all six were first remanded in custody and then committed for trial. Robert, Lynette and the 16-year-old were all charged with murder, false imprisonment, rape and grievous bodily harm. Mohammed, Abab or Tony were each charged with murder, wounding with intent to do grievous bodily harm, false imprisonment and rape. Kieran was charged with murder, section 18 grievous bodily harm, false imprisonment and causing a male to engage in sexual activity. The trial began on the 20th of March 2023. During the trial, it emerged that Adam died of a brain injury and blood loss caused by blunt force trauma to the head, probably punches, kicks or stamps, and the use of more than one weapon. 
The court heard that a neuropathologist said that he may have survived for more than half an hour after sustaining the injury, but it was unlikely he would have survived beyond around two hours. Adam had 52 head injuries and 162 injuries to other parts of his body, including his torso and limbs, the court heard. It took a short time for the jury to reach their verdict on each of the accused. Lynette Myers was found guilty and sentenced to 12 years. The 16-year-old was found guilty and given a life sentence with a minimum term of 21 years. Mohammed Ashraf was found guilty and given a life sentence with a minimum term of 28 years. Kira Miller was found guilty and given a life sentence with a minimum of 30 years. Robert Crooks was found guilty and given a life sentence with a minimum of 37 years. And the man known as Tony, Abab Yusuf, was found guilty and given a life sentence with a minimum term of 39 years. Cheers and shouts of yes were heard from the public gallery. Quote, on your own admission, you were a drug dealer and I have no doubt you supplied drugs to both your victims and others. I have no doubt you were the principal ringleader in relation to what happened that evening and the originator that led to this plan that led to this devastation. I'm sure you were the person aggrieved by the money going missing and you were the person who decided on the plan to intimidate the man and capture Adam Clapham. Adam had his problem with drugs. He also had a lot of friends and loved ones and a young child who he doted on. Adam and his ex-partner, a mother of his child, had grown up in the Woodlands area of Doncaster. She helped Adam to get a flat in Rotherham, where he'd been living for around four months. Adam enjoyed listening to music and was into cars. He'd often help people to fix their cars and was known as the gentle giant. He worked for DFS as a delivery driver. After three years together, he and his partner had broken up, around a year before the attack, but they were in the process of trying to get back together again. Detective Chief Inspector Emma Knight, senior investigating officer, said, quote, This has been a truly harrowing case. Besides the appalling levels of violence involved, among the most distressing and shocking elements are the details of how this group forced the victims to participate in sexual activity in their endeavours to inflict unspeakable torture and humiliation upon them. The second victim of the attacks, who we've referred to as the man, said, quote, What has been said about what has happened? People will form their own opinions of what type of people me and Adam were or are. What happened to me was horrific. What happened to Adam was worse. Whatever people think of us, we did not deserve that and no one does. I've been left with scars that will remind me for the rest of my life. The physical abuse was bad enough that I spent days in hospital. The pain goes away, but the scars don't. The mental abuse was on another level because we didn't know what they would do next. The memory of being stripped and scolded and hit will never leave me. Then there was the sexual abuse. We were stripped and humiliated and forced to do what we did and we didn't have a choice. The worst moment of my life was being stripped, beaten, tortured and humiliated and none of them trying to stop it. The worst moment of my life and they laughed at us as they recorded us on their phone. I don't know how I found the strength to get through it and get out, and I wish Adam had. I had to relive it in detail and describe exactly what happened. The horror of reliving Adam's last moments of his life. I didn't disclose the sexual abuse at first. Imagine describing the worst moment of your life in the presence of your mum. At the end of the evidence and before the verdict, Adam's mum said this to the court. I never thought I'd have to try and explain how I feel after the loss of my life. It is every person's worst nightmare and it is my reality. As a parent, you never think your child will die before you. 
your child should outlive you. It is devastating when your child dies naturally, however the way mine was taken from me is heartbreaking. He had his basic human rights violated and the circumstances of his death will forever be in my thoughts. The sad fact is, he didn't wake up and never will. I was unable to hold Adam, even his hand. This broke me. He leaves behind a seven-year-old child who he will never see develop into a young woman, get married or have children of her own. Adam also leaves behind a loving father and sister and several nieces and nephews who are all devastated. Adam, we love you, always have, always will, and until we meet again, you will forever be in our hearts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Red Rum. If you are enjoying the content and want ad-free and early release episodes, you can find the link to our Patreon in the show notes listed down below. We also have a YouTube channel where we upload the video version of these episodes, so I'll attach that uh, alongside in the show notes. Other than that, I will see you next week for another episode of Red Rum. Bye.